you for taking time to listen to this sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m., at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious Lord, thank you for your presence that's already been all over our worship today. We ask that you would continue to speak to us, give us ears to hear and hearts that would be courageous to follow you wherever it is you're calling us to stay. For it is in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are uh, together in this uh, Matthew uh, sermon series that really began in January and won't end until the last Sunday in Ordinary Time, which will be right before um, Advent begins. And we've been, we've been journeying and we reach this point where we get this incredible promise from Jesus that was just read for us a few minutes ago. And Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens and I will give you rest. It is one of the great, great promises that we have been given all throughout Scripture. It reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount, doesn't it, a little bit? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they will receive the kingdom of God. Here Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. And, and then he, he takes it a step further. He's like, hey, not just this blanket promise. I'm going to show you how to find this rest. He says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The idea of yoke is the important part here, or there's a lot of important parts, but it is one of the important parts, and there's two parts of yoke. One is the agricultural. Yoke would have been the harness that you would have put on the ox so that the ox could pull the, um, the instrument that would plow up the ground. That's one of the understandings that Jesus was talking about. I'm going to come back to that in just a few minutes. The other would be more about the teaching of a rabbi. And Jesus was saying, take my teaching upon you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And probably the clearest understanding of Jesus' yoke or his teaching would be Sermon on the Mount. And it's here that Jesus talks about the way to be a disciple. Now, there's a couple of things that are difficult about this. The first is Jesus says, my yoke or my teaching is easy and my burdens are light. And, and I just wonder that I've read the Sermon on the Mount a couple of times and I bet you have too. It's Matthew 5 through 7. And there's not a whole lot easy about Sermon on the Mount. I mean, Jesus starts by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are those who are meek, blessed are those who are persecuted for my sake. Nothing easy about those words. He goes on to say that you are salt of the earth, but if you become worthless, it just is as if you're thrown out and trampled under. 
And he goes on, he says, I'm going to sort of uh, explain the law to you and take it a step further. You've heard it said, don't commit murder, but I'm telling you, don't even have angry thoughts in your heart. Jesus is explaining the law and he says, it's not about just what you do, but it's the motives that you do them in. There's nothing easy about that. He continues, like, look, when you, when you get struck on one side of the face, turn the other. Someone asks you for your shirt, give them your coat too. They ask you to go one mile, go two. There's nothing easy about that. There's nothing about burden, like uh, alleviating your burden. That actually seems to be more difficult, Jesus is teaching. The context that Jesus says this word, these words brings even more question to what was Jesus talking about, about my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For he says these words, come to me all who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. As a result of being questioned by John the Baptist's disciples, if he was actually the Messiah. Right before this, we find that John the Baptist who Jesus says the greatest ever born of any woman, John the Baptist, who has accepted Jesus' yoke, is in jail. And you can't help but think that John is thinking to himself, is this what this has always been about? Is this what you get by following God's word and, and being in God's will? And so he sends his disciples, like, go, go ask Jesus, are you the one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus replies to the disciples so they can go back and tell John, I'm the one. The blind are seeing, the deaf can hear, the lame are walking, the good news is being proclaimed. John the Baptist is in jail asking these questions. And we know that John the Baptist does not ever get out of jail. Matter of fact, he's beheaded. And just can't help but wonder and ask myself and maybe you're asking the same thing how does what is Jesus trying to say that my yoke is easy and my burden is light John the Baptist is a perfect example of of someone who who's carrying it all out and yet had a heavy burden and a difficult journey remember there's there's two um, understandings of yoke let's go back to that agricultural one before the people in Jesus' day would have known that you would never have harnessed one ox. Invariably, there would have been a pair of oxen that you would harness. Now, take that image just for a minute. I believe what Jesus is saying is not that I'm going to be the driver of this cart and going to harness you and, and force you into labor. I believe what Jesus is saying is I'm going to take this yoke on too. And, and I have another yoke right next to me, a harness right next to me, and I'm going to invite you to slip it on. And together, together, we're, we're going to move forward. And when you get tired, know that I'm not going to be tired. And when you get distraught and you face trials, know that I'm going to be right there with you, continuing to move forward and helping you. And when you are completely exhausted, I won't be. My burdens for you will be light because I'm going to be carrying them with you, if not carrying them for you. I believe that's what Jesus was trying to say. I believe that's how Jesus was trying to communicate that my burden is, will be light for you, 
and my yoke is easy because I'm going to be right there with you. I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to ask that you walk right beside me and I'm going to carry you every moment of the way. How, how do we slip into Jesus's harness? How, how do we come under his yoke? I think it's such an important question. And Jesus gets at this right above where he says these words. And it's in the form of a prayer. And Jesus prays his prayer. Father, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent. And you've revealed them to infants. Jesus is reminding us that his yoke and all that comes with it, this kingdom of God, the salvation that he's offering, it is always revealed, not discovered. It is, it is always given as a gift of grace, not a reward for work. And it is always received by faith, not taken by force. And so the posture that, that we come to and are required to be in order to be under Jesus's yoke and be harnessed with him is a, is a posture of humility, of gentleness, of repentance. It's a posture of, of being open-handed and willing to receive, being willing, as Jesus uh, reminded us the last couple of weeks, to, to lose our life so we can gain his best life for us. And it is we come to these things through this posture of, of humility and meekness and gentleness and repentance that Jesus' yoke fits gently upon us and we begin to walk this journey with him. It's important that we know that's how things work because Jesus began this conversation that we heard earlier today read for us by comparing the generation and, and how they missed it. Did you catch that earlier in the day? He says, John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking and they say he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus is saying, if you're not careful, you miss the main message. If you're more interested in, in, in taking and finding and holding, you're going to miss what I'm all about and you're going to be somewhere out there when I'm here. And when I'm here, you're going to be there and you won't be and you won't receive and you won't understand what it means for my yoke to be easy and my burden light. And Jesus was describing it in this day, and, and it really continued. There's a lot of places that we see that, that the church people, the people who are followers, have, have gotten off course. And, and they have, they have uh, forgotten that this whole thing is revealed, and it is given as a gift and received by faith, and have sort of taken their own way, and have gotten way far off. It happened in Jesus' day. I mean, who should have known that he was the Messiah before anyone else? It should have been the religious leaders, and yet they were way off. And isn't it interesting that when, when the wise men came right after Jesus' birth and, and went to Herod and said, where is the king of the Jews to be born? 
Herod goes to the religious leaders and he says, where, where in your writings does it say that the king of the Jews would be born? And they answered right off, oh, it's Bethlehem. They knew everything and yet they missed it all. And it didn't stop just there. We, we know that the, the early church really fought and had a, had a difficult time with what's it mean to be a follower of Christ? There was many who were saying, well, you have to be fully Jewish and then you follow Jesus. And Paul writes in his letters over and over again, it is not Judaism plus Jesus, it is Jesus plus nothing is the way, the truth, and the life. And it didn't stop just then. We've seen throughout the ages throughout history where the church had just seemingly got it wrong, has sort of walked away and, and has left Jesus' teaching behind. The Crusades, for instance. World War II showed us what a church in Germany could, uh, could be so far off that they're saying to the, um, the Nazis that they were, they were almost uh, um, making... Well, they were, they were making it okay for what was going on. Yeah, there was a resistance movement. We know that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a part of that. But, but the overall church had, had just wandered off from Jesus' teaching and were affirming something that was definitely not him. There's a, a moment in time in our own history that I would like to call us to today. And it may not be a real comfortable couple of minutes, but I think it is one of the most important couple of minutes that we'll spend. For this part of my sermon, I wanted to be right here on the front steps of our downtown campus at 200 West High Street, a place that has existed since 1907 and a place that has a, a special part of so many of our hearts. God has been faithful in this place through the people and through the ministry. And, and I never walk off these steps without a sense of expectation about what God's going to do. And I know that many of you are the same way. Now, I apologize ahead of time because there's traffic going by and there's probably an ambulance and everything else. So just bear with me here. But I wanted to come from the front steps to lift up something that is just difficult to even talk about and yet is incredibly necessary above my right shoulder to your left. It's a plaque. That was, says First Methodist Episcopal Church South. Now a little quick history lesson. I promise I won't take too long. The Methodist Episcopal Church as it was known was founded out of Britain by John Wesley. Now Wesley was never a member of the, uh, of the, of the Methodist Episcopal Church that formed in the colonies and then became the states. But he did send preachers over to organize. And one of the preachers he sent over is Francis Asbury, who had a very instrumental part in our founding here in Lexington. For the most part, and this was back in the day when it was a major, major deal. And for the most part, the leadership of the Methodist Episcopal Church, in terms of its clergy and many of its laypersons, were abolitionists. They were against buying, selling, owning human beings. But as the church grew, and it did grow by leaps and bounds, God was blessing it in so many ways, and it began to expand and expanded into the south, and it became obvious after a few decades that there was really 
sticking point, a, a point that they could not get past. And I know that's a gross oversimplification, and so I'm gonna go ahead and ask for your patience with me, but it was a big deal. Is it right? Is it Jesus' teaching to buy and sell and own a human being? It became such a major issue, among other things. The church in 1844 decided to split. It split into two halves, the Methodist Episcopal Church North and the Methodist Episcopal Church South. Hill Street Methodist Episcopal Church is what we were known at the time. There was there wasn't a second Methodist, so we were kind of the only Methodist, so Hill Street Methodist Episcopal Church is what we were known by, voted overwhelmingly to go with the southern branch of the Methodist Episcopal Church. And let me, let me, just, let me just state it clearly. We can sort of go back and forth about what this means. Were we southern sympathizers? Were we really not okay with it, but we felt like that was a better spot for us to land as a church? At minimum, at minimum, we were okay. And at maximum, we were supportive of buying and selling and owning human beings. We can't get around that fact. It is a historical accuracy that that's part of our legacy as a people. Now, now things have changed dramatically. I, I completely get that. Matter of fact, in 1939, things had changed had been so at some had changed so greatly that the church decided to, to reunite. And the Methodist Episcopal North and the South joined together and it became the Methodist Episcopal Church. And that remained until 1968 when we joined together with the Evangelical United Brethren and became the United Methodist Church to which we are this day. But here's the deal. There's a point in our history, when we were at minimum okay and at maximum supportive of grotesque inhuman treatment to folks who were made in God's image just had a different color of skin. And I think while it is hard to hear and it is difficult to say, I think it's important to not only say it, but to hear it and to explore it. And so I'm calling us as First United Methodist Church to, to spend a couple of months, July and August, and really to examine kind of where we've come from and, and to, to kind of get to a point where we're, we're saying, well, here, here's our history and here's the racial tensions that exist now. And, and we want to be a part of the solution. We want to be a part of what, what it means to have a, a society that is equal for all and that, that justice truly is for all people. I think it's important if we want to be a part of the solution that we need to look in our past and see where we were part of the problem so that we can learn from it, so that we can make sure that we never miss and make those mistakes. There was a time, a point in time, when we as a congregation, and I know this is well before any of us were even thoughts, that we as a congregation decided that we knew Jesus' teaching better than he did. We went in a different direction, just like so many of others throughout history. So I'm calling on us to spend July and August listening 
and, and becoming educated on our own history, on, on racism as a whole, on, on social justice as a whole, and see exactly how the lay of the land is and what our part perhaps could be. Now, this is going to look different at every campus. Matter of fact, Offerings is already having these conversations, as is pretty typical. Offerings is leading us forward in so many ways. Andover downtown will have these as well. And we're going to have lots of opportunities for us to come and listen and to become educated and, and to understand sort of where we've come from so we, we know, we know that we can begin to make some decisions about being part of the solution. And that really is the kind of September and October. I'm calling us to, to take September and October and have conversations and talk about what's going on now and how we could be a part of what's going on to, to bring justice for all and equality across the board that regardless of your color of your skin, you have equal opportunities. This will lead up to Charge Conference. Charge Conference is typically in November. Our date hasn't been set yet, but usually it's middle, it's earlier middle November. And at that point, our study, our conversations will lead to decisions. And these decisions will be forward-looking about how we can be part of making things better. And there's one other thing, particularly for the downtown campus, that I want to bring to our attention, and that is this plaque that stands over my right shoulder, that greets every person coming into the sanctuary, that stands alongside Jesus' promise, come to me all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. I think it's time to have a conversation about what does this communicate, this plaque that stands over the doorway into the sanctuary. What does it communicate to our, to our city? Does it represent who Christ is? Does it represent who we are? Now, I'm not trying to erase history. Wouldn't want to do that and can't do that. This is about looking forward and being hospitable, creating a safe place for all people to come regardless of color of skin or where they have grown up or their socioeconomic status and they can be a part of something that leads to life and life eternal. That's what we're talking about. I want us to have a conversation about what it is that this plaque represents. Does it need to stay where it is or is there a better place for it? A place that we can continue to learn our history and not repeat it place where it can be where others know that what has happened in the past is not about the present and it will not define the future. Now it's a conversation that I'm asking us to have. The charge conference, I don't even get a vote. So it's not a mandate, but it is a heartfelt that I've been wrestling with for quite some time feel like now's the time to have this conversation. You may say, well, why didn't you talk about it 15 years ago when you got here? That one's on me. Do you know what they say about planting a tree? The best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time, today. That's what this is. This is the best time. It is a, a new day and time for us to examine so much 
of what goes on in our own hearts and in our churches and in our institutions and in our society. And let's be a part of that. Now, I just had a lot to put on your plate and I realize that it may very well be overwhelming right now. And for that, I, I don't apologize, but, but I'm very sensitive too. And perhaps you've heard something this morning and you've just gotten excited. You're like, yes, finally we're gonna have these conversations and yeah, I'm ready to go. And can I ask a favor of you? Will you be patient? I, I know you've been patient, but will you continue to be patient? Will you be a conversation partner? Now's not the time for rants. Now's not the time for, I can't believe it's taken us this long. Now's the time for patience and for perseverance and to extend a hand and to help. Perhaps this morning, something I've said in the last 10 minutes has um, offended you or you have perceived as offensive. And let me just say this, that that has never been my intent. And please know my heart is not to somehow shove something in someone's face. It's never been what I've been about. And yet, I want to ask you, if you would just take a step back, if you would just be patient as well, give yourself to conversations, give yourself in, in great humility to learning and to hearing what's going on and just to be a part of making the future all about Jesus' teaching and fulfilling His promises. I am so grateful to be one of you pastors. And I'm grateful that um, every morning I get to get up and know that you so desperately want to follow Christ regardless of where you're going that day. That to me is the greatest gift that you can give any of your pastors. It's just that willingness to be a part, that willingness to, uh, to, to give yourself over to what Christ is all about. So I'm gonna ask us if we'll just continue that. Let's take these next few months and as weird as it's been and as difficult as it may be to try to get us together, we're gonna do that. And we're gonna have these conversations and we're going to grow in our discipleship because that's what it's all about. And we're going to make some decisions that align us with Jesus' teaching and open ourselves and our community to the promises that are there. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, thank you for your good promises and your patience with us. Thank you that um, we could have this moment in time and know that you're a part of it as you have been a part of so many moments of our time. Now hear our hearts, Lord, continue to speak to us. Give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to be courageous. Give us humility and repentance as the posture. Lord, we want to glorify you and build for your kingdom. And may it be in these moments that's exactly what happens. We pray all this trusting in your holy name. Amen. Amen.